episode 129. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. It seems very surreal this week to be reading the lines of the scene that we're in. At this moment in the play, in a time of national crisis, a corrupt leader is talking to his frantic wife in a quiet moment alone. A man has been needlessly murdered and this ruler is concerned that their shoddy handling of the whole situation will lead to an extreme reaction from the people. The parallels are, I hope, obvious enough that I don't need to say much more. Here is what Claudius says in this week's portion of the text. Oh, this is the poison of deep grief. It springs all from her father's death. Oh, Gertrude, Gertrude, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. First her father slain, next your son gone, and he most violent author of his own just remove. The people muddied, thick and unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers, for good Polonius's death, and we have done but greenly in hugger-mugger to inter him. Poor Ophelia, divided from herself and her fair judgment, without the which we are pictures or mere beasts. Last, and as much containing as all these, her brother is in secret come from France, feeds on his wonder, keeps himself in clouds, and wants not buzzers to infect his ear with pestilent speeches of her father's death. Wherein necessity of matter beggared, will nothing stick our person to arraign in ear and ear. O my dear Gertrude, this, like to a murdering peace, in many places gives me superfluous death. I will do my best to put the contemporary parallels aside as much as possible, extraordinary and timeful as they are. In this speech, Claudius says some very surprising things. Let's take it apart and see what we find. He starts with a striking description. This is the poison of deep grief. It's not much of a stretch to suggest that deep grief is responsible for Ophelia's state, but it's telling that he calls it a poison. We already know that it's his own weapon of choice, since that's how he killed his brother and got the crown. As often as possible, I try not to mention what will happen later in the play, since I hope at least some listeners might be new to this story and not know yet. But in this one instance, I do have to point out that just about every major character left in the play will die of poison, a poison that Claudius will provide. All except Ophelia. Claudius definitely has poison on his mind, more or less all the time. Claudius has clearly decided that this deep grief of Ophelia's, despite all that we have seen and how much is going on in her songs and in her madness, springs all from her father's death. The king has made no connection between Hamlet and Ophelia at all, or if he has, he's discounting it. Now he continues, lamenting the troubles that they are facing. O Gertrude, Gertrude, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. This is a very human complaint. Sorrows never come alone. Just about every culture has a version of this idea. It never rains, but it pours. Claudius's version is military. Sorrows come like an attacking force, not individually, but in battalions. There's another little insight here. For Claudius, the smallest portion of an army isn't a soldier. It's a spy. His is a regime built on suspicion and a network of spies. He goes on to list the various crises that they're facing. First, her father slain. This is straightforward enough. Polonius is dead. Next, your son gone, and he most violent author of his own just remove. 
Next, he sang, the trouble of having had to get rid of Hamlet and send him to England since he himself was the killer and most violent author of that chapter in their lives. Note that he's no longer our son. He's become your son to Gertrude again. And there's another little insight here. Even in this moment, Claudius is still working his own angle, quietly but deliberately insisting on his point of view. He can't just say that Hamlet had to flee. He gets in this little point that it was a just remove. Autocrats are very good at ensuring that they have the moral high ground at all times. Next on the list, the people muddied, thick and unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers for good Polonius's death, and we have done but greenly in hugger-mugger to inter him. Here is what feels like the first mention of the Danish people in the whole play, and they only get Claudius's attention when they become a danger. Claudius describes the people like a pond or a puddle. When it gets stirred up, it becomes muddied and thick. In our book club, we recently read The Taming of the Shrew, which has a very similar image. In it, Catherine says, A woman moved is like a fountain troubled, muddy, ill-seeming, thick. Claudius is imagining the people in a similar way, but worse, they are also unwholesome in their thoughts and whispers because of Polonius's death. Unwholesome to whom? This is the question of the ages, really. The people are perhaps getting reports that a man has died for no good reason, and so they are stirred up. And of course, Claudius feels like their reaction will be unwholesome, or unhealthy, or even dangerous, to him. Worse yet, he knows that they haven't done enough. We have but done greenly in hugger-mugger to inter him. They have been green, sort of inexperienced or uncertain, in their response. Shakespeare echoes Polonius's own language here. Way back, you'll remember him telling Ophelia not to act like a green girl. The phrase hugger-mugger is used nowhere else in Shakespeare. It means secretly and quickly, so they buried Polonius secretly and quickly. Very interestingly, this little phrase also appears in the translation of Plutarch that Shakespeare used as source material for Julius Caesar. Plutarch is describing the aftermath of Caesar's assassination, and I'll read it for you. When this was done, they came to talk of Caesar's will and testament, and of his funerals and tomb. Then Antonius, we know him as Antony, thinking good his testament should be read openly, and also that his body should be honourably buried, and not in a hogger-mugger, lest the people might thereby take occasion to be worse offended if they did otherwise. Now, we've talked before about how Julius Caesar and Hamlet were two plays written very close together, and there's also the gag that Polonius himself mentions, that he had played the part and been killed in the capital. Perhaps Shakespeare relies on at least some of his audience remembering the strange word from Plutarch. It's certainly a very good comparison. Antony gives Caesar a public eulogy to prevent Rome from rioting, while Claudius acknowledges that they have buried Polonius in secret. Now he gets to Ophelia on his list of troubles. Poor Ophelia, divided from herself and her fair judgment, without the which we are pictures or mere beasts. This description of her madness is quite beautiful. She is divided from herself and her fair judgment. He then makes a strange comparison. Without our reason or judgment, we are just pictures or mere beasts. We remember Hamlet's line, a beast that wants discourse of reason would have mourned longer than his mother did. Claudius seems to have an interest in the difference between pictures and reality. Shakespeare has paved the way rather well throughout the play for this kind of an idea. 
the player king has already mentioned a painted tyrant, and then Hamlet has consistently compared Claudius to the painting of his now dead father. Even though Claudius wasn't on stage for these, he does still seem to have a fixation on the difference between images and real life, and he will make the allusion again later in the play. We now get some new information with the final item in his catalogue of problems. Last, and as much containing as all these, her brother is in secret come from France, feeds on his wonder, keeps himself in clouds and wants not buzzers to infect his ear with pestilent speeches of his father's death, wherein necessity, of matter beggared, will nothing stick our person to a rein in ear and ear. This is quite a long description, but it's all the one sentence. Last on the list, and as much containing, or as problematic and as worrying, is that Laertes is in secret come from France. Claudius's spies are efficient. He has advance warning that Laertes is back in Denmark. This will be an ugly confrontation. Of course, Laertes will want to know why his father is dead. But Claudius is hearing that he feeds on his wonder. He's sustained by the outrage and horror at this death. Laertes keeps himself in clouds, perhaps of suspicion, over why it happened. And worst of all, he wants not buzzers to infect his ear with pestilent speeches of his father's death. Seemingly, Laertes has no shortage of people telling him poisonous things about his father's death. The word buzzer appears nowhere else in Shakespeare. It means someone who spreads false information and rouses a rabble. Rather shockingly, Claudius describes these people as infecting his ear. Given again that this is how he killed Hamlet's father, why would he say this? It's a very awkward gaffe. Perhaps with all the stress he's under, it's an unthinking slip of the tongue. But how might Gertrude react to the phrase on stage? Claudius seems to double down on it as he continues to explain the problem of Laertes and the people talking to him. It's slightly awkwardly phrased, so I'll break it down first and then we'll try the whole thing again. These pestilent speeches will happen by necessity because the people have no evidence or information about Polonius's death. They are of matter beggared. And so nothing will stop them, it will nothing stick them, to accuse or arraign Claudius, and maybe by extension Gertrude. Here he says our person, and it could be the royal plural, or he could be suggesting that they're in this together. He seems to be fixated on ears as well. He sees this pestilent accusation being poured into ear after ear, like a chain of whispers spreading through the crowd. Wherein necessity of matter beggared will nothing stick our person to a rein in ear and ear. Oh, my dear Gertrude, this, like to a murdering piece, in many places gives me superfluous death. He seems genuinely troubled here and sees this catalogue of problems. Polonius, Hamlet, Ophelia and now Laertes, and the people, all like a murdering piece. This was a small cannon, which was able to deliver several shots at once. Claudius feels like all these problems are likewise hitting him at once, and since each of them is a fatal blow, their simultaneous arrival gives him three extra or superfluous deaths. Claudius is showing his weaknesses in this speech, but he still has plenty of moves left on the board. I love the way that Shakespeare so deftly weaves little echoes and references throughout, both from earlier in this play and from elsewhere. We're about to hear a noise within, and you can imagine who's about to try to enter, but we'll save the surprise for the next episode. Thank you for joining me as ever, and I hope the world isn't too frantic a place for you right now, wherever you are. 
As usual, there will be show notes and further information on the website, thehamletpodcast.com, and I'll speak to you next time.